0: And uh, going to make some introductory comments while the brothers are working, pulling up the um, computer. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, this forum is about uh, uh, deciding on and managing uh, improvements and change in the fellowship. How do we do that as a group? Um, you know, what are, what are the biblical mandates um, the biblical direction in terms of managing improvement in our lives and in our circles and and trying to look at what some of the obstacles are that um, inhibit us from sometimes making a needed change um, in our lives and in our group. Uh, this actually is a continuation of a forum that Brother Lou did last year that he was asked to embellish. Um, and... Uh, so I have to say that the, uh, the vast majority of the work Brother Lou has done on this, but we've conferred several times with each other about this topic. And I would like to bring one verse to all uh, our attention and uh, then to make a few comments. Um, I'm reading here from Matthew 25, uh, where we're all very familiar with the parable of the talents, and I would just like to skip to the part um, where we're told about the person that received one talent and how they managed that talent. And we know that they didn't manage it well. And the Bible tells us actually why they didn't manage it well. So I'm reading here from uh, Matthew 25, beginning with verse 24. And it said, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast thou that is thine. And the Lord said, The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put the money to the exchangers. Then on my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. The Bible tells us pretty clear here that the one that had something to invest didn't do it because he was afraid. He was afraid about losing something. He was afraid about how the master would respond if he lost the talent that he was given. And that prevented him from doing anything with it. Uh, The expectation, though, of the father was that in spite of the risks that are associated with investing talents, the father was looking for growth and the father was looking for improvement. Something uh, just a bit from my own experience and from my own uh, life that I would like to direct a little bit uh, toward the brothers that have leadership responsibility in our churches, whether ministering brothers or elder brothers. I can tell you this, that managing change is hard work. Managing good change is hard, hard work. Okay, and there is a propensity sometimes to avoid the concept of any kind of change somewhat with a personal bias because we know that this is going to be hard work. And sometimes I'm actually amazed, even our own little church and our little circles, if we brothers decide that there's something that we need to change that is going to help, I'm amazed at the personal work that needs to be done in order to be able to pave the way for that change to happen. It is a, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm totally amazed at, at how much personal effort is needed in communicating with people, talking with people, weighing things out with people in order to try to move things in a direction that, uh, that the brothers have really clearly seen that w- we need to make an adjustment in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, from my own point of view, it's easy to become spiritually lazy. And decide, let's not go down that road because of how much it's going to cost me personally in order to do it. But, you know, then of course, when you sit back sometimes and, you know, you look over those that we gather with from week to week and we're reminded of the verse that speaks of the unfeigned love of the brethren, we realize that sometimes it just takes effort, it takes work to even take the one talent that we've been given. And try to do something with it so that we bring it back to the Lord with with gain. With gain at the end. And um, I I just want to encourage um, all of us as we think of change in our life. God brings on change in our life that sometimes is not our choice. And you know what? One sign of spiritual maturity that I find when I'm counseling with individuals is how flexible are they? To adapt to the changes that the Lord is bringing into their life. Some of the toughest, you know, the toughest times is when a person's life is changed and they don't have a choice, it's changed. And they're digging in their heels trying to fight this change that they have no choice in. God's will is clear in that regard, you know, that He is moving in a different way. And part of our spirituality is linked with. How much are we sometimes going to fight the Lord and willing to realize that he's there and we're here and we live under his authority. And when he has brought certain things about our willingness to be clay in his hands is, is, not, is also a symbol of faithfulness. Are we willing to move when God shows us that we need to move? And uh, trying to have people grow in their faith is sometimes encouraging that we are on a journey with the Lord The Lord always wants us to move somehow in life. It doesn't matter what stage you're at or how close you are to the pearly gates. God never intended children to stand still. He says, follow me, journey with me. I will lead you. I will bring you to this place. I will lead you to green pastures. I will bring you here, there. I will be with you. So this really needs to be somewhat a little bit of a... a, of a theme that we need to have, that the Lord wants us really to walk with him, and he's always going someplace. And we don't need to be afraid in that. We can take courage in that, but he's promised that he'll always be with us. And there are times where missteps happen that's inevitable in life. We all do, that. even if we stand still in life, there are missteps, because the Lord wants us to move and we don't. And there are consequences when he asks us to move and we don't. So, uh, you know, it, it really is learning to trust in him and listen to him and learning how to discern the spirits as we move on forward. And that's hard work. On my desk, I have a motto. It, it, it says that there is no expedient to which a man will not resort to avoid the real labor of thinking. There's a spiritual corollary to that. For most of us, there is no expedient to which we will not resort to avoid the real labor Of discerning it's hard work and sometimes we just have to be a little bit courageous as we're moving forward and believe that the Lord is with us and the Lord will show us and speak to us and guide us but he wants us to move someplace in our life so I'm going to turn it over to Brother Lou as he looks at some of the details of the topic
1: Everybody hear me okay? Okay, what I want to start with is a um, great introduction, Brother Scott. What um, I want to start with is how I came to do this forum in the first place, which I think is very important. Otherwise, everybody's going to say, well, why are you doing a forum on change? And we were driving to camp a couple of years ago with Brother Tom Hertig and Brother Bob Varga, and um, we were just – I don't know how we got on this subject. And I said, you ever notice that some people, they come to church and they park in that same parking spot – and they walk up and they shake a few hands. Usually it's the same hands they shake, by the way. And they go to that same pew in church, and then they sit there, and, and, and re- the reality is a lot of them their eyes pretty much glaze over for the whole service, okay? And then the service is done, and it's, you know, greetings from my mother and whatever, and life is wonderful. They kind of walk out, shake the same hands on the way out, go to the same car, and we thought, well, it, it's like you'd have to, like put cones in their parking spot or take their bench out of the church for them to do something different, okay? And we kind of said, I was relating the story to Brother Tom and, and that's what Tom kind of convinced me. Hey, why don't you do a form on that? <laughs> like, what's it take? Is, is that God's purpose for you? Should you just do that routine thing? Is, is that what God wants from you? So anyways, um, obviously we're talking about change, but before I even begin the form, I'd like to open with a few, few comments. One is, I'm going to be using the, a lot of the same material I did last year Only I'm going to try and expound on it, so some of it will be the same. And also, I want to uh, share with you, um, and hopefully set your mind open like a uh, blank sheet of paper regarding this forum. Because usually when you say change, especially when you're a little bit older, um, you don't want to hear about it. That's the bottom line. And I'll give you an example. Um, Before I left for camp, a couple days before, um, somebody called me up, and they said, oh, you're going to camp? I said, yes, I'm going to camp. And they said, oh, uh, you know, are you doing anything this year? And I said, yeah, I'm doing a, a forum. And I, so I read right away, the, the alarm's going off in my head. I thought, well, here we go. So they said, oh, yeah, great. What's the forum on? I said, well, it's on improvements. And they said, well, what improvements? What are you improving? I said, well, you know, yourself, maybe the church, you know. And they're going, oh, you mean change. And I said, no, I I mean improvements. No, no, you mean change. And I thought, and I said, well, yeah, you're right. If you're going to improve yourself, there's got to be a change. Albert Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, Okay. So I said, yes, I guess I'm doing a forum on change. And then they said, oh, hey, change, I've never seen nothing good from change. There's nothing good I've ever seen out of change. In fact, you know what, that's not even a good topic, you know, and I'm like, I knew I shouldn't even entered this, but the reality is, if I could have took that person and sat down with them and and took a piece of paper and say, well, let's look at all the changes in your life, and I'm sure there was a lot of wonderful changes in this person's life, Uh, on a physical level, physical amenities, and, and obviously a spiritual level, as they grew spiritually through their lives, and Went through life with children and, and so on and so forth, and so anyways to start with my topic, what I thought I'd do obviously this is a is look at it from the biblical point of view. Let's let's start off and say what what does the Bible show us about change? What does the Bible show us about development of our life? Are we how are we born? What goes happens in our life? And that being said, okay. We're being born at at the, the first thing that happened is Adam knew Eve and she conceived a child, okay? And it's interesting, I read a nice uh, description of childbirth and the description went like this. They said, listen, imagine this child yet. They're in this environment. This environment is self-sustaining. It has everything it needs. The child is fed, the child is warm, the child is comfortable, but at some point in time, that child in the womb is starting to outgrow the size of the womb, and the child, the reality is the child has to move on outside the womb. And you're trying to, you want to, obviously that you can't dialogue with this baby, but you want to say to the baby, well, you know what? When you're born, you're going to be born to a a beautiful world, a loving family. There's all kinds of wonderful things that are going to happen that you're going to see. And the reality is sometimes the babies need God's push to push them out there. And I found a great quote about that. And it says, most of us are about as eager to be changed as we were to uh, being born and go through our lives in a similar state of shock by James Baldwin. And I think it's very appropriate that um, that we realize that, that, that people say, well, Lou, that's not a change. That's just part of God's creation. But as we go through this, we're going to outline this, and it, it should be glaringly obvious that uh, it is a change. Now... Um, the next big change, as far as our created lives, are that um, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, the big change there, I mean, this is obvious, is Adam left the garden. Okay, And God did look on the earth, and he did see that the earth was corrupt. And the next big change is uh, also obvious, that in our lives, we, we need to be born again. And that is probably one of the, well, it should be the biggest change in our life. And that change is a God-instituted change where God, in order to reconnect with God, you must be born again. Now, I would say in everybody's life, that is, a, first of all, a positive change. Second of all, it is a God-instituted change. And also, it should probably be the biggest change that you'll ever experience in your life. The next big change is death. And I would say there will be no one in this room who will, at least at this point in their life, is going to, at the very physical moment of death, will be gladly to say, bring it on. I want to die. I mean, if you're drowning in a pool, you'll probably try and swim. If you're in a car accident, you'll probably try and want to live. But the reality is, the next phase of your life is death. And in fact, the Bible says we will have a new body in heaven, okay? So this is definitely, definitely uh, a God-instituted change. I think we have too much on one slide there, but that's, that's fine. Um, so number one, we are born. We, number two, we experience rebirth. Number three, we, we leave this physical body and, and uh, have a new body. Now, what this form realistically is about, first of all, that we've just proven that change is a biblical principle, but we want to look at it and say: In between our rebirth and our conversion, and when we die, do we sit still? As Brother Scott was saying, do we sit still, or is there things that God expects of us as improving our our um, lives? Now. I apologize, but I have to refer to my notes all the time. Okay, pursuing improvements regardless of how large or small they may be, in our fleshy efforts to control our environment, we, uh, we do derive a uh, false sense of security from the sameness of our surroundings. Is there a chance we are putting our personal comfort ahead of the needs of the lost people outside the church? Do we ever stop and ponder that perhaps there is an outside chance or possibility that if God is not pleased, he will find another group that is willing to change or do his bidding. What I mean by that is a lot of times we do have opportunities in our life and we miss those opportunities. And you think that for a moment when you're confronted with the opportunities with those who are lost, if you don't do something to perhaps be bold enough, to use their camp theme, to relay God's great commission, you think God stops at you. The reality is, no, God will move on to someone else or some other church or otherwise to pursue um, his great commission. And you know what? That reality of not wanting to... Like, we get comfortable in our churches, we get comfortable the way we do things, and not wanting to make small changes to perhaps be more accepting of others or perhaps reaching out to others is nothing new. This is, what we're going to use a biblical example today that everybody's going to say is is glaringly obvious, and it's one of the best examples in the Bible, and that is Peter. When Peter had that vision where he was supposed to go preach to Cornelius, and he had the dream, and interesting about it, if you read the whole story, three times Peter says, Lord, no, not me, like, it's not for me. So that reluctance to change Uh, this is a great example of that reluctance reluctance to change by Peter. Peter was supposed to go preach to the Gentiles, and it was way outside of his comfort zone, and he obviously was uh, at first not willing, but of course um, at first he was not willing, but of course uh, God is much stronger than Peter. Now One example I used at um, my forum last year, and I'd like to use it again this year, is I'll first tell you a story that I noticed in my, my own personal life, I am very resistant to change, and my brother, Ed, who works with me, always teases me about it, is that when Microsoft came out with 2007, MS Word changed also, and all the way it was set up, it changed, and I'm used to the previous version, and I will tell you, I'm getting kind of used to it now, but I was so frustrated, and and we work in the same office, and he can hear me and I can hear him, and I would always yell to myself because I was so mad. It was was so stupid. I'm saying, you know what? They should have never changed it. If they would have left it the same, it would have been way better. And Ed kept on teasing me, saying, you know what? You just uh, you're just not used to it. If you were used to it, it'd be great. You know, and. The example, uh, and that is a change that I will admit that I didn't want to go through, and the example I use, um, and I'd like to use it again, is that in our churches, you think about the changes that happened in our churches in the last uh, several years. Um, We now have laptop computers, we have PowerPoint uh, demonstrations, we have cordless microphones, we have great lighting, air conditioning, and all these things that our forefathers realistically didn't have. We are able to show PowerPoints of missions, uh, all this great stuff. And my point was that all these things usually came into the church for the most part. And as long as it made people, as long as people could see some instant gratification. In other words, they saw instantly that you could now hear me because I have a cordless mic you could now see pictures of uh, Papua New Guinea uh, and the great work that's done there. And all of a sudden, this is, this is instant changes. You, you don't even question it. You just accept it, okay? And you, I mean, most men, when their wives went to shop for that new washing machine, um, their wives went out and bought the latest washing machine with all the, I, I don't know, I don't do the laundry, by the way. <laughs> but Linda would be able to tell you what these things do. I just know they do it well and they're expensive. But the reality is, we bring all these things in our lives, we bring them in our churches, okay? And then, all of a sudden, we have a church meeting, and we want to say, okay, we're going to change the service from 7 to 7.30, and forget it. Everything stops, okay? And and I want to say to to everybody, say, well, you guys just brought all this stuff in your church, all this technological advanced gizmos you brought into your church— and some of it maybe you shouldn't have brought in your church because a lot of it has easy access to pornography and other things like being laptops and internet and so on. And you brought them into your house and you guys didn't even bat an eye on it. at it. In fact, you wanted it. But then something as simple, and realistically it's the same category, it's the, it's the starting time of a service. And I, I use that as an example because in our church we kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of um, going around the horn on that for our midweek service. And it's funny, everybody is just like, you know, they're just resistant to this change, okay? And the reality is is there's moral and amoral changes, okay? In other words, people right away say to themselves, well, you know what? That could be a change to our doctrine. And when you think about it, you sit back and say, hold on, whether we start at 7 or 7.30, that's not a change to our doctrine. But the reality says people perceive those things as such. And and and. and A lot of it has to do with education. And how do you decide which is the moral changes, the amoral changes? Who makes that decision? The first question is, and I get this a lot from uh, my mother especially. She always goes, well, Lou, why would you want to change anything? Okay, But the reality is. If we made the right decisions in the first place, we wouldn't have to change anything. But this simply isn't true. No decision is so correct that it removes the need for subsequent change. With culture and the church's membership constantly changing, that which was right one decade will likely be wrong the next decade. And if you spent the time to think about the changes that happen in your life and your fellowship, you will see that that is indeed true. Our ACC heritage definitely is rich in great traditions. We come from a wonderful fellowship. It truly is great, and I'm thankful to be part of it. But, and I was going to, yeah, and I, the, the fact, a lot of those traditions that we do, they really do define us in very unique ways, and that is a good thing. But that being said, what did Christ say about traditions? He said... Full well, you reject the command of the God that, that you may keep your own tradition. Now, I'm not saying our fellowship rejects the commandment of God to keep our traditions. But it is a verse to keep in mind when we review the way that we do things. If the end, of, end of objective is to keep the commandment of God, sometimes traditions have to change. And Christ, realized that, Christ not only realized that Christ uh, made mention of that. These are just a list of reasons why changes occur. I mentioned the first one, practical, scheduling reasons due to a variety of factors that impact time and place of events. Social norms change. Acceptance of people from different backgrounds. I would say, in our fellowship, like most fellowships, the third point there, uh, acceptance of people from different backgrounds, is probably one of the biggest things most fellowships struggle with, because somebody comes from a different background, and uh, I love the testimony last night of um, Sarah Roll, was it? I forget her name. Anyways, um, her background was not from our fellowship, and when she first came to church, um, I thought it was a great testimony, by the way, of the Mansfield Fellowship, where she said, you know, I had uh, pierced 11 pierced ears, I think she said, and tattoos all over, and um, she was obviously different than the average person I would guess who attends the Mansfield Fellowship. <laughs> other than maybe Brother Paul. <laughs> but acceptance of people from other backgrounds is a huge challenge. And, and I see it within our own fellowship back in Windsor. And I, and I, I know we're not isolated. Um, Processes based on biblical principles that have no definitive biblical instruction as how they are carried out vary, and they evolve and they change continuously. A lot of the things we do are there to support biblical principles. They're there to support doctrine, but the reality is they're just practices to do that support. That, that changes. I'm sure Brother Vic um, could, when he walks in a church, let's say the Mansfield Church, or I'm from Windsor, and, and if you look at the way we do things and the way they do it in Papua New Guinea, I'm going to guess they're a bit different, okay? But we're all blessed by the same wonderful God and we all worship and praise that same wonderful God. And those differences, the, the end goal should be the same. Uh, procedure changes to adapt to changing cultures, attitudes, and objectives. Changes to procedures, schedules, and processes that provide a positive net benefit that is either measurable and to our positive influence, even if the positive influence is subjective. In other words, the majority likes it. A lot of t- obviously you want to change to a more positive direction, not a negative direction. Changes to procedures, schedules, and processes that cause people to break out from their autonomic life in church and are awakened to the possibility of spiritual growth, not otherwise possible under the status quo conditions. And that is kind of my introduction. Um, For example, I just wanted to um, stop in the middle of this and make mention that you only want... These are reasons for change. You only want to change to a more positive direction. That being said, it's interesting. A lot of this is subjective. What is a good measurable? I'll give you an example. I was um, talking about this with Brother Doug Solvin last night. And I know that in our Windsor Fellowship of every family that attends church and they bring their kids to church, the reality is when those children grow up, 50% of them will never walk to that church door again, other than maybe for a wedding or a funeral, 50%. So when you look at your children, and I think I talked to uh, brother, I shared this with Brother Paul Weingartner a few years ago, And if I'm not mistaken, I think he mentioned that Mansfield is probably about the same percentage. And this this statistic is not um, something that I just made up. This was done by Brother Mark Varga in Windsor a few years ago. And he actually did some statistics on this. So the reality is, when you look at your children, the reality is half of your children will probably never set foot in your church once they grow up or in an ACC church at all. Now, that being said, I'm not making a value judgment either way. I have no definitive saying, is that, maybe that's great, maybe that's a great statistics. I don't know. But doing some self-evaluation and say, is there a possibility that we could make changes, whatever, in myself personally, or as a fellowship at large, that perhaps could Let's put it this way, that that statistic does not say 100% of the kids of of believing parents attend a fellowship. It says only half of them do. That would, at least in my own mind, cause me to want to think that maybe, just maybe, there's room for improvement. Actually, I think it's a sobering statistic myself. Okay, The the line separating customs and traditions is often blurred for very good reasons, as many of the customs and traditions have evolved into their current state in order to support doctrinal doctrinal principles at any given moment in time. At any given moment of time is where the change takes place. What I'm going to do now for the next um, three slides is I'm going to... I'd like to define the difference between customs, traditions, and doctrine, OK? Um, customs are habitual practices, the usual way of acting in, in a given circumstances, habits, or usages collectively, uh, your normal conventions, a practice so long established that now has the force of law. And I think everybody can attest to that. Once you do something for so long, people say, well, that's, I mean, I'm sure that's written in the Bible somewhere. In fact. When I first started started this forum, I've heard from the pulpit. I couldn't even tell you how many times that God is an unchanging God, and I I thought that was like written right out of the Bible, like like quoting uh, John three sixteen, you know. And so what I did is I went on my computer, I did a search, and there is only one scripture in the whole entire Bible that says God does not. It says. In Malachi three six I think it is I am God I do not change and he doesn't say what he's talking about he's talking he's referring to he doesn't change in the way he deals with us that's what actually that scripture reference is in other words he deals with us on a constant loving manner and God does not say okay I like Scott today but maybe tomorrow not so much okay that is what that scripture refers to and it's interesting that. That saying of God is an unchanging God, it it is true that God is an unchanging God in the way he deals with us, but it's funny that that is now almost has the force of it's a biblical passage, and the reality it's not. Sociology, a group of uh, pattern of habitual activity usually transmitted from one generation to another, and that is um, traditions within families and obviously within churches too. Now we'll look at traditions, the handing down of statements, belief, legends, and customs, information, etc., from one generation to another, especially by word of mouth or by practice, a long-established inherited way of thinking or acting, a continuing pattern of cultural beliefs or practices, a customary characteristic, method or manner. Example: The winner took a victory lap in the usual track condition. Um, our fellowship has many wonderful traditions, many wonderful tr- customs. And these traditions and customs, they support doctrinal principles. And they're obviously very important. Now we'll look at doctrine. Doctrine itself is a particular principle, position or policy taught or advocated as of a religion. In other words, our ACC fellowship, we do have specific, specific doctrinal, doctrinal principles which obviously we don't want to change. Something that is taught teachings collectively, religious doctrine, a body or system of teachings relating to a particular subject. In other words, our biblical teachings. What we're gonna look at is, as I mentioned before, is you wanna say, well, why change anything? There's usually different driving forces behind change. One is, if you know, I'm sure everybody's experienced this. A lot of times you have a vocal minority. In other words, somebody who is, I can say, um, very bold, or a group of people who are very bold and they have an agenda, and they, may be, they make a big fuss, and they try and coerce um, the leadership into making changes, or they try and coerce the group at large into making changes. Um, is this wise? You have a vocal majority. A lot of times a whole fellowship will say, you know what, I think we should do something, whatever that particular thing is. Um, And the leaders, of course, react and they initiate the changes based on the vocal majority. Another change is sometimes leaders of a church will have personal agendas. Either it's just a personal agenda or they felt uh, it's led by God and they initiate changes in order to fulfill their convictions or personal agendas. Is this wise? Is all change good? The biggest part of change is you want to change things that should be changed and you don't want to change things that shouldn't be changed. I'm stating the obvious here, but that sometimes needs to be said and people really have to realize that. How do we limit our risk? Do we, use, do we have trial periods? Do we gather feedback before and after? Do we look at other churches, history, and obviously following scripture? Reality is, most of us resist change. And I went back to our original quote from the beginning. There is um, nine most common reasons for resisting change. And I'm glad, glad Brother Scott um, had a good intro about resisting change. And I don't think anybody in this room—it's a natural human reaction to resist change. And there's a it serves its purpose very well, but here's other reasons most people have for resisting change, and the number one reason is most people don't understand why change is necessary. Number two, um, and this is actually very common, people, a lot of people don't have faith in, cha- in certain changes, They say, well, I don't think it's going to work, so why bother? Number three, a lot of people believe the old way is better, and you know what, I give you an example of that. And, and I found that myself when the, we switched over to the new Microsoft Word. I thought, why wouldn't they just leave the thing alone? I knew what I was doing. I knew my way around it. But the reality is, I'm sure in some ways it's better. Either that or I probably, most likely, just lined Bill Gates's pocket. People are afraid that they themselves might fail. and This is a legitimate fear. People say, well, you know, if this changes, I personally might fail. Uh, people don't trust the motives of the change agent. The change agent could be the vocal minority, the vocal majority, or it could be the leadership. A lot of people don't have trust. There is evidence that the old way works, and that is very true. There is little or no evidence that the new way will work. The pain associated with changing is greater than the pain of remaining the same. Now, this right here, a lot of times, speaks directly to leaders of the church, where the reality is, sometimes when you make changes, the leaders will get flack. And you know what? Rather than get flack, they'll make the change, and you won't get flack. So there's less pain. And a lot of times changes don't happen is because people really do have emotional attachments to the way things are done. And then because of that emotional attachment, they have a hard time seeing anything objectively. They don't see things pragmatically or objectively because the, uh, the, the, because of their emotional attachment to the change, to the way they do things, excuse me. Couple quotes here. Any change, even for the better, is always accompanied by drawbacks and discomforts. Another great quote, the first change, the first um, step towards change is awareness, the second is acceptance. When I say awareness, that's where the education comes in. Education is paramount. Education, any type of change is paramount and is one of the most important factors. In order to ensure uh, members of a fellowship are properly Radically inform why a change is taking place. Well, oh, tongue-tied, sorry. A change champion, now a change champion, the reality is in our fellowship, the change champion usually denotes the leaders, must demonstrate and inform the members of the fellowship the various details of the change. This information must be inclusive of the differentiation between customs, traditions, and doctrines in how If at all, it applies to each situation. If people are not educated on any changes, I'm the same way. I will say to somebody, well, why did we switch to Microsoft 2007? I'm going to use it as an example all the way through my form here. But they got to prove to me, like, why did we even do it? The other way was fine. And by me being educated, it makes a big difference. Then I say, okay, now I understand why you're doing it. And, and as far as a church goes, a lot of times you want to make changes. And if somebody has to explain to people, okay, this is what I call an amoral change. It does not affect doctrine. It does not affect anything as far as our doctrine goes. It is a change that hopefully we're trying to accommodate a certain factor or a certain reason. And that's why we're making the change. So without that education, without that education of the differentiation between uh, the customs, doctrine, traditions, People will not accept change. There's no doubt about that. Myself inclusive. Interestingly enough, the leaders are the most important part of any change. Spiritual led discernment and sound common sense reasoning is required. Once change has been decided upon, the church leadership must endorse it, endorse the change in a timely manner, or it will never happen. Be effective or positive. And this is one of the uh, crucial points of all changes. A lot of times people will accept the change, albeit reluctantly, out of respect to the leadership. Because they say, okay, listen, I don't really like it. I don't see the net benefit for it. But out of respect to the church leadership, I will follow along. Um, I forgot why I put that quote in there. Ownership. Positive change only happens when the majority of the membership takes ownership of the change. Ownership of the change means that they are sufficiently educated on the reasons why the change is taking place. They agree with the change and view it as a good thing. Again, sometimes not all of these conditions are met in each person, but they are willing to follow the leadership's endorsement, take ownership for different reasons. It can work out to be positive for the membership as a whole. Now, one thing I want to um, you to keep in, keep in mind as I'm talking here, a lot of this looks like it's all changed strictly to the fellowship and, and traditions and... And possible things within the fellowship. Keep in the back of your mind that this is not all, with, all to do with any changes in the fellowship, too. You should be looking at this from, from at yourself from a personal view. Possible changes in your own life, possible changes in your own traditions, possible changes in the, in the way you do things yourself. Where I know myself, in order to be, let's say, an effective witness or to do anything. with myself, trying to improve myself in my walk with God, a lot of it I have to change the way I perhaps do things in my life, some of my habits, some of the places I go, some of the things I listen to, some how I approach people, how I talk to people. Am I willing to step, step outside of my comfort zone? And I was going to use uh, Brother Scott's example, and it's a great example, is a lot of times we, we think on a personal level, and at large on a fellowship level, that, hey, we've got this great fellowship, we've got these great traditions, it's wonderful. Let's protect it. Let's put up the walls around us, and let's protect what we have, because it is so good, and it is so great, okay? And, and that is like the, the, Jesus gave the example of the, the guy who put the talent on the ground. He says, Lord, this talent, I, I know it's important to you, I know it's important to me. I know it's important to the fellowship at large. So I'm going to protect it and make sure that it doesn't get lost. But Jesus' commandment was, no, I didn't want you to protect your traditions. I didn't want you to protect you as a person or you as a fellowship. I wanted to grow. I wanted to bring back fruits. In conclusion, I don't even know what time it is. Oh we are, are we are we on time? Okay. In conclusion, the first statement is in relationship to Malachi the, the statement in Malachi is God's love and mercy towards us is constant. However, He expects us to change in a positive direction. He expects and demands positive positive change in in our lives. Refusing to change is like holding your breath. If you succeed, you die. In conclusion, Philippians 3.14, Apostle Paul wrote, and everybody's probably very familiar with this verse, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God and Jesus Christ. And obviously, if Apostle Paul was pressing towards that mark, he wasn't sitting still. Scott, did you wanna So uh
0: Yesterday, we come to camp, and I'm really looking forward to being here for this week. And, you know, I come to camp, I know exactly what to expect, right? The traveling back and forth, I don't really care for that much, but I know exactly what to expect. So we get here, we got to drop off the kids, we got to do all this stuff, we go pick up our packets. We're in Hillside 206. Okay, We're never in Hillside 206. Okay, We're on the first floor of Hillside. As long as we've been coming here, we're on the first floor Hillside. Okay, whatever, we go to 206, okay? So we go up to 206. We're supposed to be staying with the cooks. This room ain't big enough for us and the cooks. Did Elsa really put the cooks with us, or are the cooks not with us this year? Wow. Well, before we unpack and put our stuff here, we better find out what we're doing, right? Because if we move into all the rooms and then the cooks are supposed to be there, then we've got to move again. So let's drop everything right here, okay? And let's go out and find out from else uh, what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm looking at the room and thinking, you know, we don't even have a place to congregate here. It's different in shape than the other one back and forth. And, okay, so I'm less than grateful. Tell Elsa, I'm less than grateful, no. Uh, no, so you know, it turns out the cooks are with us and it, it was a, t- a total misconception on my part. The room is the same size as the other room is. We have to rearrange the furniture, we have to do this, we have to do in actually relatively short order. All of the negatives that we saw were really compensated. But you know what it, it reminded me of? I have really strong emotional attachments to things. You know, I view myself as being a pretty flexible person in many ways, and yet in other ways, I have really strong emotional attachments to things. And uh, I think, you know, the spirit was just reminding me to, you know, try to be sympathetic then to other people that also have strong emotional attachments to things and help the process of sometimes managing necessary change, because we're not going to get around it. You know, we have these emotional attachments. And uh, that's the way God made us. And uh, I'm hoping that the forum was helpful and informative. We do have some time for uh, uh, questions. Um, if we think we can answer them in a fair way, we will. And if we don't, then we just won't accept the question. Are we going to do it with this band if people have questions, or are we going yeah, to have a different mic? Uh, we'll just capture it with this. Lord Paul? I just
1: I think they, they I, I can, you can a
0: all forum handouts go on a CD at the end of the week. That is also available through okay. the AV people. Okay. I, I don't have a question, but I just had
2: a comment. First of all, I am first side, uh, first floor hill side, so I apologize if I got you. <laughs> <laughs> church, there's no change. Almost no, you know. But we've been seeing a little bit of change every now and then, but going to Mantle is a lot different than a smaller church that you can change a lot of things. But some things, some changes you can um, accept, and other changes you have absolutely no right to even refuse. For example, Pluto. Um, all laughed at me when I was explaining that Pluto is a planet. Apparently it's not. It's Mickey Mouse's dog, because you know, I had no say that Pluto was not a planet anymore, and how many years ago they took that away. That was a change that affected us all a little bit, but just, you know, we didn't have any say, but then there are other churches, other um, aspects of change in our churches that would affect us all, and so sometimes there was a clip up there um, that Louie had that said, trial, was that right, for trying to change, something like that, so when we all got to camp, we also got the lanyards, and some people liked them, other people didn't, and, um, that was the kind of change. So maybe based on if there is a church, a church change, maybe just seeing comments and saying I like this, I don't like this, and then working on it after trying it this year. This was a trial for the lanyards. Some people liked that, some didn't. Maybe you know next year will be different. But uh, not a question, but just a comment.
0: Answer that comment. Appreciate that.
2: Yes.
3: Um, I just have an encouragement, I guess that. Uh, Couple months ago, Sister Lily insurance had sent me an email. Sent a bunch of us were not in a study group together, and it just had um, the statistics of how fast Islam is growing and how how backwards Christianity is going. And uh, reading that email was like a big impact. And then I clicked on it and was you know read some of the comments and stuff that people were talking about and overwhelmingly its women are being converted to islam when you get a rate six times more than men and a lot of the women who are being converted were being converted because they liked the tradition of islam they liked the whatever the head covering is they liked the the security of that and just reading that reminded me i'm not from the acc church i guess i'm that's a new term I just learned last week. So I guess I'm FTW. Uh, but there are a lot of the things, the traditions of the ACC Church that are great to reach out to a lost and dying world. And there are a lot of things that maybe we need to rethink in order to reach out to a lost and dying world. But the thing is, is, you know, the Lord is going to return, and we need to. And so maybe we need to do some tweaking. Maybe we need to do some tweaking, but there are a lot of things that we shouldn't be throwing out. So that's Thanks for the comment. appreciate that. Scott, I, I think,
1: as I sit here, I think you're preaching to the choir. Um, you know, the people here in this room are, fair, are fairly flexible in relationship to the members that aren't in camp. So my suggestion, personally, is that you try to get a program approved through the eldership where you and Louie come to each church, put on this presentation, <laughs> because there's people here who won't, in, our, in my church, in Jen's church in my church, who won't come to camp. I mean, they can't be. They are inflexible about where they sleep and, of course, religiously, spiritually, in a lot of regards. So, you know, you're preaching the choir here. We love it. It's, it's great. You, your brothers went to a lot of time, but I'd hate to see it evaporate prior to assimilation in our church uh, body that is not here. See what you can do. Point made. Thank you. I guess what, what would you see as um, some steps that, that people within a church or leadership within a church need to take to implement a change? You know, and some, something to me, iniqui- you know, if it was like a, a schedule change or, hey, let's let's um, have Bible class where we didn't have it before, what, what are some of the steps prior to saying, okay, we're doing this, what are some of the steps you see as necessary to kind of introduce it and let people kind of feel it out and what take from there?
0: You know, I think I to answer that more thinking about my business experience in management and, you know, I've learned that... Um, Managing people's expectations of a change is actually a huge, huge part of it. I have to say, from my from my personal standpoint, that is where where I sometimes also get very frustrated because it takes so much time to manage expectations that I don't always have the the energy or the desire to do everything that needs to be done again and again and again. You know, in order to uh, to try to manage it well, but. Um, you know, I I do realize that if change isn't managed well, um, e- even the good reason why one wanted to implement the change is likely not going to come about. So in the end, it is still worth the time and the effort and all the energy that put into it to try to uh, manage expectations and also to do a good job of managing consequences. You know, any change that you do is always going to have some consequences, foreseen or unforeseen. And so um, I think that, you know, time and effort into trying to manage the consequences as best as is possible um, it, it w- will be helpful in the end. I think we have time for two more, okay, Brother Dan and Brother Vic.
1: In your introduction, you talked a little bit about risk, um, the risk of change. Uh, another reason that we might not always think about is the risk of
0: staying same. Can you maybe comment a little bit about analyzing those two risks? Well, let me just give a very short experience. Can, can you repeat that for the court? Yeah, he said, you know, the, the, the question is the, the risks of not being willing to change, okay? And, um, you know, one of the consequences that I have seen is that when change does come as a person's way and they don't have a choice in it, they, they simply lose the joy of the Lord and they can't recuperate from it at times. I've seen people fall into depressions, just be very, very unhappy. They wouldn't have to be, but they are largely, you know, about the fact that they have certain expectations of how this is supposed to come about. The way that it happened didn't meet their expectations, and they're sort of unwilling to, to, to bend their wills and, and unwilling to give in in that regard, and they wind up being very unhappy people for longer periods of time. And um, sometimes I think it's good for us to create change in our own lives. I mean, I'm, I, I admire people um, as they get on in years that are downscaling themselves. And they're not leaving that responsibility to their children to do. I know other folks that have lived in the same house for 60 years. Never a change. And, you know, them transitioning out of that place into another is going to be a big ordeal. The chances are pretty good, actually that the Lord is going to call them home before that house goes. You know, and, and, um, you know, sometimes deliberately I think ourselves deciding that we're going to create a certain change can be somewhat healthy because it also keeps us trusting and it keeps us flexible before the Lord and and allowing Him to work out the circumstances in life when we really can't see how it's going to come about. If I can interject um, for one
1: moment. I think there's a, a few, of the story in in, uh, the book of Esther where Esther is asked to do a task in more or less insinuates if you don't do it someone else or it will happen with with or without you and um, I think a lot of times that we, we don't we underestimate the requirements of God in our lives personally and at large in fellowship where you think that We'll preserve it. Will stand still, and then it's first of all, it's the last work for me. The reality is, when God makes changes in in, in our it happens with or without you, and, and then you. It's very subjective as far as measuring the results of that. Okay, but it is a reality, and that's something that you're try, trying to keep in the back of your mind. That especially dealing with the good Lord. His commandments always come true, whether you're in the way or not. It happens.
0: You know the verse in the, in the Acts that says, speaking about uh, about Judas, it says, "And his bishopric let another one take." You know, if we stand in the way of the Lord, His will is not going to be stopped. He's going to find somebody else to do it. If we don't. Um, but but it, it was our responsibility. We have to face the, con- the consequences of that before Him one day. For the Rick you have.
4: Yes, I appreciate what you brothers have put together, which basically has been an analysis of what could happen or should happen. I'm standing out there on a mountain in Papua New Guinea for 47 years and come back to see what has happened. There were a lot, or a few more, a lot more perhaps, groups in this fellowship. I mean, what... What's the perimeter fence of it? There are some that are no longer closely attached. I have seen that many of those have not done so well. Some have. Some belong together. But some have not done so well. Why? Perhaps the change has been listening to a minority or maybe even a majority and has gone too fast or maybe too unwisely. What I have seen in this fellowship at this camp, of course, I don't know those that have not come here, but I am very impressed with scholarship, both <clears throat> what's going on in our world and what it really says in the scriptures. But not manage, managing it to, uh, not managing it, fat, or, sorry, not limiting this, speed of change or the reasons, um, but this is back to square one. How much do we change? It differs within every various congregations and those who manage it wisely are going to come out for the better for it. Frederick, thank you for that feel-good comment and things with. We
3: appreciate that. Well. Thank you.